a study last week about what time is it? So we're talking about end times. And uh, I remember when I was in college, um, I got really, my, my uncle was real big on um, Hal Lindsey and uh, the late great planet Earth. And, and uh, so that was one of the things where you, you couldn't get in a conversation with him and him not talk about the end of times. I mean, just laying it out. And um, he, uh, so I picked up on a lot of that when I became a Christian and really committed my life. And so I was riding home from college uh, during one of our breaks with a guy I played basketball with on the team. And I was talking to him. He, he kind of had a little bit of a spiritual background. And I said, uh, so I talked about the end times and he was like, you know, I, he goes, I would really like you not to talk about that. I says, why? He said, because you're scaring me. Well, the end times aren't supposed to be scary. They're not. They're not supposed to be scary. I mean, I know that, you know, Sharon and I, and you got to be, go way, way back, okay? There used to be some movies that were out that were all about scaring everybody about, you know, the Mark of the Beast was one of them. Um, these went around in different fundamental churches. Maybe some of you have seen some of them. And uh, they're hokey-looking movies, but they were basically to put terror into people that you could miss the rapture. And uh, then Left Behind came out. How many of you have read any of the Left Behind books? And so, you know, Left Behind, it deals with that people missing the rapture, missing the coming of the Lord, and, of course, then having to deal with the whole mark of the beast. But here's the thing. The, 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 the second coming... Uh, the, the, when the disciples talked about it, their reference to it wasn't to put fear in people. It was to bring comfort to people. It was to help them. In fact, Paul did a whole message to, to, uh, into the Thessalonians. And he said, look, guys, he said, comfort one another with these words. This is to be a comforting a, to bring peace to us, to help us, not to make us fearful. And if we have a relate, you know, unless we got something that we, you know, we're hanging on to and we're concerned that somehow that could keep us out of heaven, it'd have to be, you know, rejecting Christ is the only thing that's going to keep you out of heaven. It really is. And I know that we would like to make it a lot bigger, but it, it really isn't. Jesus said that. There's only one reason the sin of not, of not of the sin of rejecting him is the thing that will keep you out of heaven. Well, those who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. So what we like to do is, is that, and, and we're going to look at this tonight a little bit, but what we like to do is that, you know, we like to determine, well, how, you know, how serious is your commitment to Christ? I mean, is it real? Is the people around us, once we get our own straightened out or kind of straightened out, you know, then we start going after everybody else around us. And one of my favorite stories with this, and I tell this, I've told this so many times, but I love it. It's so powerful. Is in um, a, a preacher, evangelist was preaching on the reservation. And, um, and there was a, uh, a big Indian that used to come to the meetings and he was disruptive. He was drunk. He'd come in. He was a real big guy and uh, they couldn't contain him. They'd have to call the, the, the police. They'd have to restrain this guy and take him out. His wife went to the church. Well, one, one Sunday night, they're having service. Evangelist is preaching and he's up and he's saying, those who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. And, and uh, this guy comes walking in the back door and 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 everybody's just like, oh my gosh, here we go. Get the ushers ready. Call the, get the nine one one. We got to call the police. This guy's going to go ballistic. 
And then the preacher, the evangelist goes, hey, uh, if you'd like to call on the name of Jesus tonight and receive Christ into your life, you know, you could do that right here in the service. Well, he goes on and he keeps preaching. And all of a sudden, this big Indian guy gets up in the back of the church and walks down the aisle. And everybody's like, oh, here we go. He's going to knock the pulpit over. He's going to punch the preacher. And the guy goes to the altar and he kneels down and he yells out, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And uh, as soon as he does that, he gets back up. And, 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 people, and the preacher goes, what did you do? He, what was going on? He goes, well, I just did what you said. I called on the name of the Lord and he says, I'm saved. And people in the church, this is, this is absolute truth. People in the church said, you're not saved yet. Because you got to be sorry for all the bad things you did here to us and all the. Now, look, I know we all, you know, like no way could that ever. But but look, we got to examine our own heart. What kinds of things do we, you know, start drawing circles around and say, no, 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 they can't be a part of this. And we talked a little bit about that last week. We're not to be afraid of the end. We're not to be afraid of death. You know, the sting of death has been taken out. The believer doesn't have anything to fear in life. We have nothing to fear. We don't fear death. We don't fear the rapture. We don't fear the second coming. We don't fear heaven. We're, we're, we're actually in a great position. Look at your neighbor and say, you're in a great position tonight. Amen. And you are. You're in a great position tonight. So, you know, that fear, that's the enemy trying to put that on you and trying to, uh, trying to create that kind of uh, fear in, in your life. Now, when we talk about what time it is, last week we talked about Jesus coming again. I encourage you uh, to, to listen to that. If you haven't, you can pick up a copy of it or go online and listen to it. Uh, but this week I want to talk to you about how shall we live? How do we live during these times? First Chronicles 12.32 says that the sons of Issachar were, that they had the discerning of the times. They knew the time that they were living in, but not only did they know the time that they were living in, they knew what they needed to do. You know, you could hear a lot of people today, even in the church, say, man, it's, it, they could say that, wow, his return is coming soon. I mean, it's happening soon. Okay, but what do we do until he comes? I mean, what are we supposed to, where, how do we conduct ourselves? What kinds of things should we be involved in? What, how should we be thinking? And so it's, it's easy to see with all the stuff. I mean, I get up on Sunday morning and I'll take a real brief look at the news and and man, right away, they were like, oh my gosh, the nuclear war thing is escalating and it's almost at the verge and, you know, and it's, it's going to happen and it's, you know, this guy's just waiting and look, it, it, it and, and you know what, it very well could happen it, nobody's saying it couldn't happen. But if you live your life in fear that, oh no, this is it, this is bad, or, or you're like, this is another sign of the end times. There are so many things prophetically that are already been fulfilled, that are, have happened, but are, they're going to continue to be fulfilled in our lifetime. And if we, you know, when we're gone, they'll be continuing to be fulfilled because God has a plan. Amen. God has a plan. So I want to talk to you about how that we should live. And so if you have your Bible, I want you to open it to John chapter 3, passage you're going to be real familiar with, I'm sure. John chapter 3. And I want to just look at verse 16. Because when we talk about we understand God's timing, we need to understand in God's timing of everything that God desires everyone to be saved. God desires everyone to be saved. Everyone. Every one of your relatives that hasn't asked Christ, every one of your neighbors, every 
person in the prison, every person. Look, God desires all men to be saved. And so I wanted you to see this in John 3, 16. He said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So God's plan is, is that all men would be saved and that all men would have eternal life. Now, when we talk about that, we, we really got to put it into context about, well, what is eternal life? What does that mean to have eternal life? Well, eternal life, Jesus talked about what eternal life, because, you know, everybody's going to live eternally. They're just not all going to experience the life that they could have, the, you know, the life that they could have with God. Everybody's going to live eternally. The guy in hell is going to, the, the man, the woman in hell is going to live eternally. They're you know, there are some that like tried to start teaching them, and, and there's no biblical evidence of this of, a, of of spiritual annihilation. Okay, somebody's like, okay, so there will come a point where you will be like completely, you just will cease to exist. You'll be annihilated. That God will do that. Okay, there is no biblical reference to any of that. There's some things people could pull as conjecture to that, but annihilation is not something God has. God has cre- created hell for the devil and the angels, not for mankind, but because man rejects God, doesn't receive the message of God, the redemptive power of God, God can't let him into heaven and he, God can't let him walk the earth. So they're going to have to go someplace and that's where they end up is in hell because of that decision. So everybody lives eternally. Look at your neighbor and say, you're going to live eternally. No matter what, no matter what. And so you're going to live eternally. So what God wants is that you not just live eternally, but you have eternal life, that you experience his eternal life. What is eternal life? John 17, 3, Jesus taught us what eternal life was. So Jesus didn't say eternal life is you get, a, you get out, you don't have to go to hell. He never said that. He did not say that. What he said eternal life is, is that you could know the Father and his only Son. So you bet, some of you are looking at me funny. So go to John 17, 3. I want you to see it. John 17, 3. This is eternal life. Okay? So this is the words of Jesus. This is eternal life. And so when we talk about should not perish, but have eternal life, this is eternal life, that, you, that, that they may know you, Father, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you sent. So God's whole plan for mankind in his timing and his understanding was is that to be saved means that you enter into a relationship with him. It does not mean that you get a get out of jail free card, okay? That's not what salvation is. Salvation is is that you and I enter into a relationship with God. And we could get all freaked out about, uh, you know, the man, we got to get people, we got to save people from going to hell. But what we as a church ought to be thinking about and what God's intent was, and I think this is what Jesus thought, is, is that we got to get people into a relationship with Almighty God. Praying the sinner's prayer is a powerful thing. And I absolutely believe every person has to repent and turn away from sin and turn to Jesus But remember, repentance isn't just, I'm sorry for what I did. Repentance is I turn from something to something. And 
The two something is a relationship with Jesus Christ. So salvation is not about that I got, I got myself covered now, I'm okay. Salvation is I have a relationship with God Almighty. Religion provides a formula of dealing with your sin. Jesus provides a relationship where he breaks you free from your sin. Religion is a lot easier for us to follow. It really is. Not, not to do, not to do, but to follow. But remember, that's what Jesus came to deal with was a religious system that had been established that everybody was, which meant you wash your hands a certain way, you eat your food a certain way, you know, you go in the house a certain way, you got to conduct yourself a certain way, you can't do a bunch of stuff, there's a bunch of stuff you can do, you better do, you better do it right, I mean, all these things. That is not what Jesus was trying to establish, that's what religion does in our lives. And religion is just a system, it's a system that is, that, that somehow we think in that system that it gets us closer to holiness, closer to God. You will not get holy without Jesus in a relationship with Jesus. You can't. You, you, because it, without Jesus, then it's just you trying to be holy and you're going to fail miserably. And some of us already have. We know that for a fact. We tried. We really tried to do what the church told us to do. I find it interesting because I, I, I don't know if you're ready to see this tonight, but if you look at verse 17... Man, this just, this just blows me away. Putting this all into context, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. No, he sent the church to do it. God did not. I'm being a smart aleck. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. So what was God thinking? He was not sending Jesus here to condemn the world. He condemned religion. He spent more time condemning religion than he did the world, than he did the people in the world. He condemned people that were self-righteous. He condemned people that thought it was all about the system that they followed that made them better than everybody else. This is good preaching, Pastor. No, we have to understand that what God's plan is, is that he wants everybody to be saved. That doesn't happen through condemnation. You know, the great way to share Jesus with people, I mean, if you want to just really make it real simple, is that you get in a relationship with Jesus Christ and then be excited about telling everybody about the relationship you have with Jesus. And when you do that, people are going to listen to what's going on in your life. But if we spend all our time and all we're focused on, in which I did this for years, is that we're going to learn the Romans road and that's how we're going to tell people about Jesus. That didn't have anything to do with about a relationship with Jesus Christ. That just has to do with pointing out that people are sinners and it has to do with telling people they need to confess and ask Jesus Christ into, you know, to be the Lord of their life. Powerful verses, obviously, and it is a, it's a powerful tool but if the end result isn't a walk with Christ on a daily basis, then it is not fulfilling the plan that God has. God wants us to be saved. Saved means I'm in a relationship with God. I'm in a relationship with Jesus Christ. So, you know, you want to be a witness for Christ? Just get in a relationship with Christ yourself. You, you work on you 
and then be excited, get yourself to the point where you really like the relationship you have with Christ. You say, well, I don't like my relationship. Well, then do something about it, okay? Do something about it. I mean, when Sharon and I, I don't like our relationship, and sometimes I don't. How do we deal with that? How do you fix a relationship? Communication. Communication, exactly. So what do I got to do? I got to talk with her. I got to say, look, there's things here that aren't right. I get, and she says, well, you know what? I feel the same way. And here's how I feel like you're treating me. And then I say, well, here's how I feel like you're treating me. And then we start communicating with each other. And communication means that we're going to come into a place of communion or something in common with this communication. So we work it out until we get to that place. And so what happens in our relationship with Christ to get into communion with Christ in our relationship with Christ is we just got to talk it out with him. Have a little, have a little talk with Jesus. Tell him all about your, thank you, Sharon. I know more of you know that song than you're letting on. No, we have, to, we have to communicate with him. We have to talk with him. We have to, Lord, here's what's going on. And be real. You don't have to go through, don't have to go into a whole bunch of these and thous and thys and thuses and just talk to the Lord about what's going on in your life. God didn't send his son into the world. And I know I'm picking on the church a little bit because we have really, really, we have to be so, we have to really watch this because we can become so condemning about what's going on in people's lives. And Jesus did not call us to condemn people. Jesus called us to love people. He called us to love people. Well, did you hear about, you know, what so-and-so did in the church? Look, is that, are you saying that because you're trying to help them or are you saying that because you're condemning them? You know, if, we're, if the world will know that we are his disciples because of the love that we have for one another, how are we loving one another? Amen. I can't wait to tell you about what I heard about Ken. But all I'm trying to do is I'm condemning Ken. I don't know all the facts. I don't have all the information. I just made a judgment decision here. And so I'm coming out and saying something. All of that is anti-Christ. So when you want to talk about anti-Christ spirit, everybody's worried about, you know, Damien showing up with 666 on the back of his head you know, being the Antichrist. Let me tell you this. This Antichrist stuff is so prevalent in the church right now. Condemning people, condemning one another, condemning people in the world. And we are to be the place that's presenting eternal life. And so what we got to come, what we have to, and I'm not trying to, I'm not condemning you by saying that, okay? What I'm trying to say is, is that Where's your relationship with Christ? And if it's not where you think it should be, then what are you going to do about it? And how much longer are you going to let it go the way that it is? Let's get it right. I mean, Jesus and I have some real serious talks sometimes about where where I think things are at. I'm trying to deal with it. Now, here's the thing, moving on with this. When we realize it's about a relationship with Christ, then we also can come back to that if they're not interested in what's going on in my life, or what Jesus is doing in my life, that is not a reflection on me. That's a reflection on how they feel about Christ. Or I'm just a poor, I'm not giving a good, I'm not, I'm not letting my light shine well enough. But, but, but I can't stand back and, you know, I used to get all worried about, well, I got to tell people about Jesus, but what if they reject me? What if they don't listen to me? Well, look, if I'm presenting Christ and who he is, not a religion, 
Not even the church that I go to. Hey, you got to come to Amazing Grace. You know, you got to become all the... Because once we start down that avenue, once you try to get people to believe doctrine before they believe in Christ, forget it. If you want to argue about creation, forget it. You're, you're going to get nowhere. You're not going to get them any place by arguing about creation. You're not going to get anywhere with them arguing about anything. It's, it's, uh, it, you know, it's just not going to produce the results you want. Just keep it focused on Christ. You know, Muslims overseas uh, and in the United States are receiving Christ in exponential rates because Jesus is appearing to them in dreams. It, it, it's Jesus. He's real. If you haven't met him yet, I really would like to introduce you to him. He's as real as the person sitting next to you. You say, well, I just, no, I don't think of him that way. I think of him way off. And that isn't what he wanted for you. That's not what he wanted. He wanted to be in a close, intimate relationship with you and I. God so loved you that he sent his only son so you could have a relationship with God Almighty. Amen. Good preaching, Pastor. All right. We're going to stop condemning. This is a judgment-free zone. We're not walking around looking for people to condemn. Amen. Thank you, Pastor. Yes, we won't do that anymore. Jesus didn't do it. We're not going to do it. All right? God has a plan to reach the world. What did he tell us to do? He said, go into all the world. He said, all authority is given to me. This is out of Matthew uh, 28. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. If you look at that scripture, it does not say go into all the world and make converts. It says go into all the world and make disciples. So what he's saying is, look, I'm not asking you just to go get people saved. Now, here we go. I'm asking you to go get in a relationship with people as well. Help them find me. Help them learn about me. You know, that's the thing in our world, especially today, it, 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 we, because, and, and why life groups is such an amazing thing, because it, it creates an environment where we're discipling together. You know, they call it one anothering. And one anothering is important in your Christian growth. I mean, if you don't have one another and you're not going to grow as a believer. No, no, I can read my Bible. I can pray at home. I'll be just fine. I don't need anybody else. Well, that person sitting next to you is the body of Christ and you need the body of Christ. You're only one part of it. You're not the whole thing. Amen. We need each other. One falls down. Bible says, woe to him who falls when he's alone. The Bible says, woe to him who's cold when he's alone. Why? Because he has no one to keep him warm and he's got nobody to help him up. We need each other. So Jesus says, look, I want you to make disciples. So the, 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 you know, Peter and all of them, even though we see these great conversions happen, that wasn't what they were trying to do is, is that, well, we're just going to go out and get a lot of people converted and hopefully it all works out all right for him. Jesus was, Peter was like, we're going to go out and we're going to do what Jesus said and we're going to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit and we're going to enter into a relationship with them and we're going to make them students like we're students. So can I tell you a little secret? The people around you will study God like you study God. They will follow your example. You know, if you're waiting for everybody around you to get with it, you get with it and just quit worrying about everybody else. Amen. God has a plan to reach the world. God is waiting 
for the completion of his plan to return. So I just want you to understand God's, God's plan, timing. God is waiting for the completion of his plan for his return. Remember Matthew 24, 14. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. We talked about how that in the world right now, there are 17,000 people groups. There are 17,000, they're called ethnoses. Those 17,000 people groups, 10,000 of them have a gospel witness. They have a Bible, a preacher, and they have a church in their communities, somewhere there in those countries. Out of that 17,000, there are 7,000 that have not heard the gospel. They don't have a gospel witness. But what's happening is, and which is really awesome, is is that these ethnic groups that have been closed off, people, you know, it's just like I met a guy one time. um, I says, he says, well, we're, we're, we're missionaries. I said, what does that mean? He says, well, we're missionaries in a foreign country. I says, well, where at? He said, in the Mideast. I said, where at in the Mideast? He says, well, I can't really tell you about it because if I tell you about it and they find out that that's what I'm doing, then he says, it's going to close all the doors for me. I mean, I'll end up in prison or they'll just shut me down because what he's doing is because the whole world is into capitalism now, um, even in the communist countries, they're big time. Everybody's into capitalism. So here's what happens. He's in the country. He told me, finally, he told me that he's in shipping and he was, he's doing export and import and he does it out of Saudi Arabia. And so what happens is he gets into business relationships, but he's creating, he's living this example. He's not, he's not, it's not that he, he's not allowed to start a church, but he, he can't stop being who he is. So they see that his light is shining. They see something is different about him. And so when he talks about God, he's not necessarily talking about Allah like they might, but he's talking about his relationship. This is totally outlawed. and This is outlawed prison time in Saudi Arabia. At the time that he's doing it, I'm not real sure how it is now, but I mean, he's, he's in there and his whole family is living there and they're missionaries in that country But look, you can't get your picture put up on the church wall for missionaries for that. So the way he funds the gospel and where he's at is through his business. And see, that just, that really, in some ways, I got to move on because I don't have time to get into this, but that's kind of counterculture to what we're taught about missionaries. You know, a missionary goes in, they preach the gospel, they stand up with the Bible. Today's missionaries into these ethnos groups where they're not welcomed, they're going in as business people and they're doing business. And when they do business, then they're influencing people with the gospel and people are getting saved. And then they start having prayer groups and tremendous things happen. I told you last week, one of the fastest growing churches in the world right now is in Iran. Now I know that won't be on NBC, ABC and CBS and not even on Fox news, but I'm just telling you that there is a great move of the Holy spirit happening in Iran. Because why? Because God so loved Iran that he gave his only begotten son. God so loves Saudi Arabia. So he raises up people. People say, you can't. God's already got a plan of how he can. He's not limited. It's just, it doesn't always fit the model of what we think it should look like or how it should be done. And uh, so it's really powerful when these things are taking place. So the gospel goes into all the world. But I wanted you to see this passage in, in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 8. 2 Peter 3, 8. And uh, in this verse, it says this. 
But beloved, do not forget this one thing that the Lord with the Lord one day is a thousand years and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slack or slothful concerning or lazy concerning his promise as some count slackness, but is long suffering toward us, towards mankind, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance, that all should come to repentance. So, Here's the question. How do I live during these times? This is the time of redemption, of God bringing people in. Well, the scriptures are very clear about how we should live. Number one, we should see the significance of every day. Every day. We should see the significance of every single day. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. These are opportune times for us. We should live our days intentionally with purpose. Amen. We should live our days intentionally and with purpose. Number two, we have to share the unconditional love of Jesus Christ. John 13, 34 says this, A new commandment I give to you that you love one another as I have loved you and that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And then the last one, not only must we share the unconditional love of Christ, but we need to continue to supply the Great Commission. To supply the Great Commission. There's two ways that you supply the Great Commission. Okay? Uh, Predominantly, two ways. One, you supply the Great Commission by, you supply the Great Commission by by prayer. Number two, you supply the Great Commission by financial support. Now, there is a third way, and that is, is that you, if you, God's call to your life to reach those around you. But prayer is vital for the growth of the kingdom. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, it says that the gospel is veiled to those who are perishing. Now, if you stopped right there, you'd think, well, that's it. That's just the way that it is. But it says what you and I, what we have to realize is, is that it's not God in heaven that's blinded their eyes. It's the God of this world that's blinded their eyes. Which tells me that if their eyes are blinded, that there's a part of them that really wants to see the truth. I think people really want a relationship. I think that there's a spirit inside of us that wants a relationship with God. Even the guy that says, I'm an atheist. I don't believe. You know, I love the, I don't know how many of you have seen this, but it's pretty cool that, you know, a guy went around, he was polling different people, and he says, are you an atheist? He said, yes, I'm an atheist. Yes, I'm an atheist. He said, now, if I showed you a miracle, uh, would, you, would you believe that, would you, would you change your mind at all? And he says, well, if I saw an actual miracle, yeah, I'd change my mind. Well, what he does is then he gets this book out, has all these beautiful pictures, and he said, so what I'd like to ask you is, is that do you believe, do you, in your thinking, do you think that this whole book came together by itself? Do you think that all the beautiful pictures that are in there, all of the words that are there, that the whole construct of this book just came into existence by itself, that nobody had any part in it, nobody played any had any kind of a you know hand on what's happening here it just it just all of a sudden appeared and they says well no i don't believe that and then he would say to them well do you see where i'm going and they go oh yeah i see where you're going he said so here's the thing do you think 
that everything that you see around you, all this wonderful world, the beauty that's in this world, the DNA makeup of mankind, the intricate, I mean, if you start getting into the study of how your body is made, I mean, what it takes to get your body to, I mean, look, it takes, it takes a lot for you to be able to do what you do. Even if you can't do it right right now, it still takes a lot for you to do what, it takes a lot to get you out of bed. And to keep you moving, I mean, you're a supernatural being. And so he goes through this. And by the time he's done, they have to admit that there is some kind of divine construct. There's something that is, they may not admit that there's a God, that they believe in Jesus Christ at that point. But, you know, when you get people start moving away from their everything's random and just happened to something has had some type of a divine intervention in all of this, you're getting them closer to where they need to be. It's the God of this world that's blinded the eyes of people. But here's the really powerful thing. You have authority over the God of this world. See, right now you have loved ones that aren't in a relationship with Christ. And for whatever reason, don't spend all your time, don't spend all your time trying to argue with them about why that they're struggling with believing. Spend your time praying for them that their eyes would be enlightened, that they would know that God, the darkness would lift off their eyes, that they would see the light of the glorious gospel. That's what he said, that the blindness that the enemy has brought against their life, whatever that is, you can't get rid of it by reason anyways. You can't. Because it's not, for most people, and I got to really, I got to move along here, but for most people, their reason is tied to emotion and you cannot change people's emotions. So you'll spend all your time trying to reason with somebody that's emotionally bound in that reason and for whatever anger and frustration and pain and hurt and stuff that's all in there. And you're going to spend all your time arguing with that. And no matter how much you talk and try to reason, and even if you're making really awesome, valid arguments, the truth is, is if it's wrapped up in emotion, you can't change emotion through reason. Only the Holy Spirit can make that kind of change. Amen. But he's with us. (laughs) Amen. He's with us. The Holy Spirit is with us. He's going to help us. He's our comforter, our aid. He's beside us. So the other is is that by helping, by giving, to help others, to be able to be able to take the message, to do what they're called to do, to help supply the Great Commission. Luke 10.2 says this, Then he said to them, the harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. We have to continue as God's people to pray that people will go out into the harvest field. And then we have to help fund to make, you know, to help them find the finances to be able to do it because it costs money to do it. I mean, I love this church. It's awesome, man, but it costs a lot of money to do this. Okay, it costs a lot. I like having a big church. Well, you like a big church? It costs a lot of money to keep a big church open. You got to have a big staff. You got to have, you know, big electric bills, big heating bills. You got big everything. You know, well, I love our praise and worship. Okay, great. But do you know how much goes into making that praise and worship sound the way it does? I mean, I don't, he, Chuck knows, but, and I know, but, but, but you, you know, we're not going to talk to you a whole lot about it because you'd be like, well why, did, well, why didn't we just go to Radio Shack and get something? 
Because I'm telling you right now, you wouldn't love the praise and worship if we had Radio Shack realistic speakers up here in the front. They, it all is to help. We, we want we want the sound system that didn't take away from the worship, but made you forget about the sound system and just focus on Jesus. We've done, Chuck's done a great job with that. We help, you help supply that. But there's so much more for us to do in the world. So many more that need to hear the gospel. So many more. And so two ways that we can really make this a big thing is, is that one, by praying for those who need the gospel. And then two, praying for those who need to go into the harvest fields to preach the gospel. I pray that God continues to raise up people through our church here and that we can send them out. Amen. So it's time for you to choose. It's a choice that you and I have to make. Psalm 8, two, chapter 2, verse 8. I want everybody to look at this. Psalm chapter 2, verse 8. We're almost done. God says, ask of me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. So I want to give you a thought as we close up here tonight. One, you can survive your generation or two, you can steward your generation. You can survive your generation. You know, you can just survive through it. Well, I'm a millennial. Well, are you going to steward your generation or are you going to survive it? Well, I'm a boomer. You're going to survive it? You're going to steward it? I, I'm a builder. Well, then, you know, that's a different, another, that's a pre-boomer generation. Look, whatever generation that you are in, that's God's divine design for you. God's divine design for you. Before you were born, he knew. Before he formed you in the womb, he knew this would be the generation that you would be in. He said, well, how does he know that? Because he's God. Because he can think things that you, you can't even imagine. He can think thoughts that he can see things. If, you, if you, we understood the mind of God, we, we'd see that God can see everything happening at the beginning at the same time of seeing everything happen at the end. He's omnicognizant. He can see every avenue. Every He's not only omni, omnipotent, omnipresent, and om, um, omniscient, but he's also omnicognizant. And omnicognizant is just mind-blowing because that God can see every contingency of your life and every choice that you're making, and he's already way ahead of you. He's way ahead of you. But you can either steward your generation or you can just survive through it. As for me and my house, we're going to steward our generation and any generation that will allow us to. Amen. I'll tell you a way I want to finish tonight. Go ahead and stand up. You can put your stuff down. You know, communion is such a great time that we we take of the bread and the juice. And, and, and a lot of times when we're doing it, we're doing it because we're like, you know, this is for my healing. This is for my sin. But here's what I'd like you to think about. What Jesus did that night was he made the ultimate commitment before he made the ultimate sacrifice. And when he made that commitment, he told them, the guys, look, this is my body. It's going to be broken for you. They didn't know what he was doing. What's he saying? This is my blood. It's going to be shed for you. Now, 
when you and I come to this table tonight and we take the bread and we take the cup, I, I, I'm not going to pray a prayer for, with you tonight. I'm just going to ask you to take it back to your seat. Um, and I'm just going to ask you to sit down there with a piece of bread and that cup. And I just want you to think about, I want you to think about in your life the time that you live in right now. And then I want you to think about in that is, is that where are you in your relationship with Christ right now? And, and, and it, look, if it's, if it's not great, then do, do whatever you got to do to get it right, okay? Just talk to him about it. Because, see, that's what this is just letting us know, that he gave this knowing that you'd be a jerk. He did. He, he, paid, he put this out for us knowing that we would reject him, that we would lie about stuff, we would cheat, we would... We would do horrible things. And he said, I'm going to do it anyways. I'm going to do it anyways. And if we said, well, God, what the, what's wrong with you? Why would you do that? He said, because I love these people. And that's how God feels about you tonight. So I'm going to bless it. I'm going to ask you to come. You can just sit around the altar if you want to. You can take it back to your seat. Um, and this is how we're going to close tonight's service, okay? Father God, I thank you for the great sacrifice that you made through our Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, we're humbled before the body of Christ. Lord, we're humbled at the stripes that you bore. We're humbled, Lord God, at the piercings that you went through, the thorns on your head. We're humbled at, Lord, your blood, spotless, sinless blood that was poured out for our sin so that we could have a relationship with you. So, Lord, I ask tonight as we prepare our hearts to receive communion that, Lord, if there be anything between us and you, Lord, maybe we haven't even been thinking about it, but, but, but now it's, I ask by your Holy Spirit that if there are things that are going on in our life, maybe we're unfor- dealing with unforgiveness towards someone tonight or we're just dealing with fear in our own lives. Lord, whatever that is, Uh, Lord, I just believe you bring it to the forefront so we can correct this in our relationship with you. Talk to us tonight, Jesus. Before we leave this place, I'm asking you to talk to us tonight. And I thank you for it. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. All right, come, take the communion elements and you can take it back to your seat or sit around the altar or you can run out of the building or whatever you want to do. This is, service is closed. So come on.